Hello, my name is Sam Clements, and welcome to the Love of Cinema, a picture house podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. On today's edition of the show, a bonus episode, if you will, we are joined by two of the key crew members on Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. Killers of the Flower Moon is in cinemas right now. It stars Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio and Lily Gladstone. You may have seen adverts for it on the tube or the bus or the train or the YouTube. I've seen those adverts too. They make me want to see the film again. I, I saw the film a few weeks ago before doing this interview. I loved it. But now all the hype is out there for the, for the film. I'm so excited to go and watch this film again. It, it's, a, it's a remarkable film. It's a, it's a full meal of a film. It's a cinematic feast. Uh, to just keep talking about food uh, there, I, I, I loved it and I, I really want to go and see it again. I want to see it on the biggest screen possible because the detail in this film is beautiful. And a lot of that detail comes from the costumes uh, which were designed by Jacqueline West, our special guest today, and were supervised and consulted on <laughs> by Julie O'Keefe, uh, who is a expert in Osage culture. And, and she was brought in as a consultant on the film and, and actually stayed around for uh, for a lot longer than she was booked originally. I think she was originally booked for one week or two weeks. And uh, I think she stayed on the film for six months to for, throughout the whole of production and worked so closely with Jacqueline West on getting the Osage costumes correct on camera. I think we haven't seen traditional Osage uh, costumes in, in this detail on screen before, uh, especially for a period piece. Uh, which is when the the film is set, uh, you know, in some some years ago, uh, there too. So it's uh, yes, it's 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 fascinating, and it's fascinating to hear them talk, and and fascinating to to sort of think about the film, knowing what uh, what they said to me. So there's no spoilers for the film in this interview, but we had a really good time talking, and uh, you know what, I am gonna be the first to say, I think Julie O'Keefe and Jacqueline West. I think they should have their own podcast. They were wonderful. I could have just sat there and listened to them without asking any questions. It was such a privilege to talk to them whilst they were in town for the London Film Festival. So Killers of the Flower Moon is in cinemas right now. Highly recommend going to watch it. But before then, have a listen to my interview with Jacqueline West and Julie O'Keefe. Enjoy. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You made a good choice coming back here. Osage are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmarted everybody. They have the say. Who gets the oil? Son, I got a question. You like women? <laughs> That's my weakness. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to a very special Picture House podcast to celebrate the release of Killers of the Flower Moon. We're always excited for a new Martin Scorsese film at Picture House Cinemas, and I am pleased to be talking to not one, but two very special guests who actually worked on the film. Um, first of all... I'm Jacqueline West, costume designer. I'm Julie O'Keefe, and I was the lead Osage clothing consultant. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much, Jacqueline and Julie, to take time out. I know it's a very busy schedule at the moment with a film coming out <laughs> here, and then we're going to awards season and, and all that sort of business. But I'd love to go back to the beginning, I guess. And, and uh, you know, when did this film first come into your life? Should we start with you, Jacqueline, and then we'll go to Julie? Uh, I was at my home in Deadwood, South Dakota. 
Waiting Out COVID, uh, a movie I was working on had just shut down. And driving back from Canada, we took a left-hand turn at the Columbia River and went to our house in Deadwood, where we sat it out. And I was, you know, enjoying the Wild West. It's where Wild Bill Hickok and Calamity Jane are buried, so you can imagine. And I got a phone call that Marty wanted me to do this film with him. And I realized that Jack Fisk was on it and Rodrigo Prieto. And I've done movies, I think nine movies with Jack and five with Rodrigo. So it was like, you know, uh, a marriage made in heaven there. And then getting to work with Martin Scorsese, I I jumped at this. I my husband said, "Okay, now you can now you can quit. You've worked with Martin Scorsese." So, I said yes, and I started my research at just, you know, uh this wonderful incredible incredible Native American libraries in South Dakota and I put a crew in place in Los Angeles to start backing me up already and this was in maybe September, and then I drove to, we uh, put our border collie in our big RV, you know, van and drove to Oklahoma, where I had the uh, great fortune of meeting Julie. Wow. And Julie, when did you come in into the film? How did, how did you get involved? So my chief actually had called me at home one day and it was during COVID and I was working with a large museum during that time, putting some uh, artisans and different people together for them. And he said, you know, they're going to be shooting this movie in Osage County. And I really hope that you put your resume in. I owned a shop called the Cedar Chest in Pahuska, Oklahoma. And what I did was basically create through different artisans and some design of my own museum quality uh, regalia and Osage clothing for customers. And I was bringing materials down from New York. I was living in D.C. at the time so that the community would have access to materials we normally couldn't, couldn't get. And so knowing that I had a background in that, chief really started pushing and he said you you must you've got to turn it in you know there's so many intricacies and layers to our clothing for our men and our women so I sent the resume in and luckily I ended up getting a call from the costume supervisor who worked for Jacqueline and went in for a meeting and um, that's where it started Love at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> Must be so exciting to get those calls, you know, both you know at different times about this project, yeah, because it's a big, it's a big film for so many reasons. Well, Julie had access to artisans that I didn't, I didn't know, um, that made this movie possible and authentic, on the level of authenticity that Marty was seeking, and. I knew that nothing short of having actual Osage artisans involved would work on this this movie because their uh, clothing is so specific and different than the other uh, Plains nations. And I've, you know, made clothes for the Pawnee, for the Kiowa, for uh, Sioux, for Cheyenne, you know, just in my, you know, 
repertoire, but these were different. They dressed differently, their ribbon work, their finger weaving, their silver work is all very, very specific, saying nothing of the wedding coats, which I had never seen before. Mm. When my husband first called attention to me, to the wedding coats when he was helping me with my research, and I said, oh, I, I don't think I could make that fly. You know, it's so, that's so different. It, it doesn't look uh, like anything I've ever seen is that, and I started researching it and really got into it and realized that, that if, if I did show that to Marty, it would probably be a scene in the movie <laughs> because they're magnificent. Mm -hmm. And their history goes back to the early 1800s to a delegation going to Thomas Jefferson and him trying to, you know, make some kind of connection with this specific tribe, which he said were the most beautiful, magnificent people he'd ever seen. And that wedding coat has such a fabulous history that, you know, you just... It, the Osage are really, really unique, I feel. Their height, their, their artistry, it, it was wonderful for me to learn about them. And you're not taught about them in school. I've said this in other interviews. Mm. I think because American, white America is ashamed of having let this happen. So, yeah, I mean, especially in, in Britain, it's not something that we know so much about. So it was, I went on such a journey uh, watching the film the other night and it was so good to actually see it on the big screen and be fully immersed in, in all of the detail. I'd love to know what, you, what was your first meeting like? What did you talk about when you, when you first got together in, in the same room? Well, how long can I keep you? <laughs> <laughs> Stay right by my side. Don't leave me. <laughs> well, when I first walked in, I was completely blown away by the amount of research that Jackie had set up in storyboards, thousands and thousands of photographs, and some of which I was familiar with because our Osage Tribal Museum had has them, which is one of the oldest tribal museums in the United States. And really seeing how she had broken out traditional Osages in the 1920s, modern, completely modern, contemporary Osages, uh, men and women. And then you had a cross between modern day clothing and wearing a blanket with that. And so really telling those stories. And then we had really interesting conversations, too, about why someone would be wearing a blanket a certain way, because men can wear it four different ways, and women have about six, and that's with a blanket or a shawl. But it's life events that are happening in that. And so depending on what you're doing or who you are is going to be a status of how you're wearing your blanket. Can I say something? It, having Julie on set with me was so important that she was, I was supposed to only have her for 10 days. <laughs> and I said to my supervisor, I don't care what it costs, we need her. Because there were comments, even online, about how Molly was wearing her blanket, even though she just picked it up and put it on for warmth on set, pictures get taken that are paparazzi-esque pictures. And it was so important 
to Lily, mm. our star, that, Ma, that Julie came to her trailer every day and checked for what she was going to be doing, how she was wearing her shawl and her blanket. We also had a wonderful, wonderful young Osage woman, Lainey Maker, on set with us, who is about six feet tall and would stand over. She's, she's a traditional Osage woman. Yes. And, <laughs> and she would stand over her and nobody said a word. Mm -hmm. Once Julie had blessed her, <laughs> she went to set because different people felt different ways about things because, oh, my grandmother wore it this way. Oh, my aunt taught me this. And there's like in every culture, different ways of doing things in my Italian family, everybody has a different idea about how my grandmother wore her hair. So, you know, we, we got a lot of that, but Julie was the last word. And it, it meant so much to Lily that Julie was there. Oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. It sounds like you formed a really tight unit, you know, with your cast, with the other members of the crew. And with my crew that I brought in, who I've done many movies with, yeah. Julie fit in perfectly, and they all were so happy to have her there. Because, mm -hmm. like I said, there's questions about mm -hmm. how a chief should wear a blanket, mm -hmm. depending on what he's doing. You know, uh, how a roadman would wear a blanket in a baby christening. Mm -hmm. These are not traditions we grew up with, even as costumers and costume designers. You really need somebody who it is their personal history and is knowledgeable about, you know, the, the thin gray areas. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. The, uh, Lily Gladstone gives such a great performance in this, and I think you can see her. She's often cited on all the posters, which is so well-deserved. I love how she wears her costume and how she uses the blanket to, you know, sort of add to that character, and, and she can be quite powerful the way she wears it or quite vulnerable. I'd love to know a little bit more, uh, Julie, about what you spoke to Lily about in terms of how she dressed. Well, you know, the basically I would come in every day because there's one way to sit down and you read things through the script and understand what the actions are going to be. But then there's a closed rehearsal before things get started. And she would come back down from that and I'd be waiting in her trailer for last looks and then we would sit down and I'm going to use a specific example and it's when Lizzie Q is is sick and is dying and they have her you know outside in their kind of their summer uh, house or wiki up and what they're doing is comforting her and keeping her out there um, which was a tradition and they're wearing black shawls and they have this fringe and those black shawls used to be referred to as Osage minks because they used to have big French jet cut beads and you could tell the wealth 
of an Osage woman by how many rows of beads she had on that on that shawl. Well, Lily is getting is in mourning. She knows she's losing her mother and she's trying to comb her hair and take care of her. So I walked in and Lily was definitely frustrated because she was trying to figure out how to use her hands, how to deal with all this fringe, how to use this comb on her mother's hair. And so I just looked at her and I said, what is it exactly that you need, you need to be doing? Show me. So she would show me kind of what her actions were going to be. And I was like, okay, then we have research photographs that we can turn and we can basically use it this way for utility. And I would fold it completely differently on her so that she was able to go in and sit down uh, as if she would in real life and be able to take care of her mother with that black shawl on. And that's just one example, but that was every, every day for us. Wow, and that really feeds into the character and what we end up seeing you know, in cinemas when we're watching the film. So the 10 days didn't fly. <laughs> and you're still together now. Yes, we are. Uh, I think, it, I mean, that sounds like a, so, so did you stay on for the whole production then because of your, uh, I your did. request? I did stay on for the whole production. And, and they weren't going to say no to me. If they did, I was going to Marty. <laughs> That's a good card to keep in your back pocket. Yeah. Uh, what struck me about this film, and, and Martin Scorsese is so good at doing this like scale on the big screen, but there are so many actors and characters, so many background artists, that's a lot of costumes. I think there are 125 speaking roles. Wow. I mean, the credits are... Actually, I stayed through all of the credits because I wanted to drink everything in, and there oh, are so many credited cast I'm members. Nice <laughs> but that, that, I mean, that, that must mean a lot of work for your team and, and a lot of work for, for you, Julie. How... Well, we made everything. I mean, we made all of the suits in multiples. We didn't know when he would, if he would have a driving double or you know, stunt person. We made everything in multiples. I used American costume in Los Angeles. Diana Foster is the daughter of uh, the iconic uh, Lester Bailey, Lester Bayless, who dressed John Wayne his entire career. And she made, she has all, she had all of the patterns from the 1920s movies that, uh, and 30s movies that uh, Lester had done with John Wayne. And so she was unbelievable. And she also made most of Bob's clothing, but I had to farm some of it out to people I'd worked with in Budapest, magnificent tailors there that I've done films with. It was so massive. We made all of uh, Molly's clothes in-house using real, you know, trade, broadcloth, French silk ribbons. We bought massive quantity of French silk ribbons that are moiré ribbons that are still being reproduced. Those all came from, we brought, you know, we imported those from France so we could get, make multiples. The wedding coats took massive quantities. It was, it was a real undertaking. How many pairs of moccasins, Julie? Like 300? At least 300. And I made uh, 200 pairs of Osage cowboy boots with the Spanish heel, the high ones that oh, yeah. they were particular to them. I had Stetson involved in the cowboy hats and Weather Hat, who made all John Wayne's hats. My friend Jack, who owns Weather Hats in South Dakota, set up a whole little factory up there to produce that quantity because he usually does it just for local cowboys and ranchers now but they used to do them in large quantity for westerns 
it was it was a huge undertaking. And then all the Osage artisans that were put to work in their homes to start. And the other beautiful, beautiful thing I didn't mention was all of the Osage that showed up with family treasures that we put on them whenever we could, according to the scene, like the roundhouse scene, wherever we could let them wear things that belonged to their grandmothers or their grandfathers. Blankets, silver slides, ball and cone earrings. They all showed up with things. And the other beautiful thing was young women working as PAs and young men started bringing me family photos. Addie Roanhorse brought me pictures of Henry Roanhorse that I'd never seen. All the research I had done that uh, had been done already on the movie before I got there, she brought me pictures to show Marty of him dressed in magnificent suits and travel, you know, tourist photos from back then. Marty actually recreated for the movie because uh, he'd never seen that photo of Henry sitting in the half moon or in the uh, silver, you know, the crescent moon. And they, everyone started bringing their family photos. So I made a whole wall behind my desk of actual family photos. And that made everybody feel a part of telling this tragic story. But it was also, I think, cathartic for them. Marty's films have a sense because he puts so much personal in, of his interior stuff into the into his central characters that give movies his movies this both real authentic and also cathartic effect on his audiences which i don't think any other filmmaker does like him i mean everybody minds their own personal great directors mind their own personal inner selves but marty more than anybody else He's been doing it for longer than everybody. And he's iconic in that way. He's, he's our American Fellini. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it's always an event when one of his films come out. And, and, that, and, and that's why, you know, mm-hmm. you all of the craft you see uh, on screen. I, I, I've always been curious, you know, so much work is made for a, for a film and then the film finishes and we get to watch it. But what happens to the costumes? Uh, at the end of the day. Um, are there 300 pairs of moccasins floating around somewhere? <laughs> yes, and they're probably all in the Apple storage. They are. I found them the other day when I was down there. <laughs> uh, yes, and, you know, I, I'm going to make a big push that a lot of that goes back to the Osage Nation. I would like to give all of our research boards to the schools, you know, mm-hmm. to... I'm going to approach Apple with that. I know they won't... I can't talk about it right now, but I made big folders of each character and I'd love to for those to go to the family so that they were based on and I'd love for some of these uh, pieces especially the old pieces that we acquired to go to back to the museum and end up there I did that on the new world with all of the uh, Algonquin tribes the Mattapanai and the Patawomics I gave them uh, the things that we made and a lot of those, a lot of them ended up at the Crazy Horse Museum, and I'm going to try to ask Apple for to donate some of the things we made for this movie, and make a, a section at Crazy Horse mm. of the Osage. 
because they're considered the cousins of the Sioux. Those two tribes are really close. Their language is very close, so we can understand each other, yeah. even though it's not exactly the same. It's Algonquin-based, right? And they they consider themselves. When I was I'm on the board at, at I'm on the board at Crazy Horse, and they consider themselves cousins of the Osage. That's mm-hmm. what they. When I was there doing some research, because they have a huge Native American library now, I realized that. So I said, how about if we do an Osage? exhibit because people go so many people go to see crazy horse now it's the biggest sculpture in the world you can see it from mars and it will let people know about the osage and it'll this is going to reach an enormous audience but that will reach you know people on the road from they come from france from germany go everyone goes to see crazy horse so i'm hoping to do that it's a conversation that maybe julie can get involved with and we can have with apple together absolutely i think just uh you know what we see on screen looks so beautiful but i'd love to sort of be able to look around it to get up close to it to be able to see it you know they're doing displays in some in some venues of the clothes but uh like the wedding coats are magnificent they're just uh, the whole collection of them mm-hmm. together. The coats and is, the hats. Is, uh, the coats and the hats should, yes. be, should be their own display. This is something I made for Marty while we were shooting the scene. Yeah, I know you can't. That's Lily. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, I mean, that whole scene is, is absolutely mind-blowing. It's really stunning. And so that would be a wonderful collection. I was going to see if we could offer that to Crazy Horse. Wow. Well, fingers crossed for the future. But thank you so much for your time today. We're, we're really looking forward to playing the film and, and to sharing this with our audiences. So it's a, real, it's a real event and it's something truly special. I can't wait to see it again. And at three hours and 26 minutes, I think that's quite a, an endorsement. <laughs> well, I, the second time I saw it, I didn't want it to be over. Mm. I've, there's a few films in my life that I've felt that way about, that I just don't want them to end. You want to kind of crawl into them and just, you know, be within them and absorb them and the feeling and the emotion. And I got so caught up again on the sadness of it all and the injustice. And, but I was riveted the second time. I never want, I didn't want it to be over. No, absolutely. I was uh, totally feel the same. And say I'm excited for a second viewing. But thank you so much, both. Thank you. Thank you.